You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi there, this is Sarah, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, and I want to thank you so much for joining us for another episode on a podcast all about shedding our limiting labels and beliefs so we can live our dreams and shine our lights in the world. This week, we are joined by Stacey DeVries. Oh boy, Stacy's got a story. She is the principal and a teacher for an online high school in British Columbia, and she enjoys Enneagram coaching on the side. So you guys know we're running a whole series on Enneagram, and Stacy comes at it from a little bit different perspective. Her specialty is teens and students who school at home. She also works with teachers and students, including those homeschoolers, and organizations that want to use the Enneagram in the workplace. She lives in the beautiful mountains of British Columbia, and when she's not overdoing life as an Enneagram 8, she enjoys cycling and camping in her BW van. My sister at heart. Um, She's involved in projects that work with genocide widows in Rwanda, teaching them self-defense and grounding techniques to help with trauma recovery. And on top of that, She runs a school in a village in Uganda. Wow, this is a busy woman having an impact in the world. Today, I'm going to ask Stacey to share more, though, about why offering, you know, those seemingly meager things that we take for granted, why that matters in the world, and then how we can move past our own struggles and thoughts of inadequacy and insignificant so that we can offer what we can and then what happens when we do and what she did and how she parlayed her 50th birthday into a hugely significant milestone and a life-changing event for herself and for others. So with that, let's welcome our guest, Stacy. Hey, Stacy. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm glad to have you on the show. I will tell you um, that when I you I read that you like camping in your VW van it brought back memories of me I actually lived in my van for a short period you know when you're like in your late teens and early 20s and all of a sudden they go you can't live here anymore you've got to live somewhere I'm going okay I'll live in my van my van (laughs) that worked for a couple of days until I could find a place to be but um anyway what year is your van and um did you give your van a name of course I did. So she she is a 1990 um, Vanagon Karat, so a weekender. I did not want to have the cooking uh, facilities inside the van because my husband is six five and that just won't work for him. So we have we have the queen size bed in the back and a table that lifts up and. We actually bought her on our 30th anniversary, which was around the time I was turning 50 as well. And so I named her Annie for the anniversary. I know it's like a dad joke. Oh, I like it. That's her name. <laughs> uh, well, it's a good way to remember it though, right? Yeah, yeah, it's great. When you talk about you know the memories and having to live in your van right now, it's like people want to live in their vans down by the river. <laughs> you know, it's just- I know. Times have changed. That's right. (laughs) Times have changed. I remember I moved. I moved out. I think this is when I moved out of my house. So the van, I bought a 66 van used when I moved out of the house at 18. But I bought it when I was 16, right? Those prices, I paid 500 bucks for this van. It was in great shape. Can you imagine that? But And I named it Eddie for Eddie Haskell, um, like on Leave It to Beaver, yes. because this van was perfect until he wasn't. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> so my boyfriend, I, right? well, yeah, and I we rebuilt the engine so that we could drive across Canada to go to yeah. the Montreal game. So that's how long ago that was. Oh, and wow. then back through the States. But um, tons of great memories. And some roadside assistance. (laughs) You have to have that. That's part of it. You have to join the club at some point. You do. And it's not like it's, it wasn't computerized. So it wasn't all that difficult. You just had to put in the grunt and grind and grime. 
to do it. Yeah, but that's right. Anyway, I envy you having a van. Um, and may I may yet get one. But <laughs> you should. Well, right now I'm a little spoiled, but um I I would that would be super fun. Yeah. So yeah. Let's get yeah. on to the podcast. But I just when I saw that, I thought, oh my God, this is great. And That's what a beautiful part of, my part of the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. start a bit about your background. I know you're a teacher, a principal. Um, how did you come to know and use the Enneagram? What was the intersection of those things? Yeah. So um, I grew up in Colorado, and after I, when I turned 18, I moved to Canada, and we got married and um, lived a lot of our lives in Canada, and then we thought it would be nice to go back to Colorado for a little bit and be near my family, and so part of that transition was that my husband and I both worked for a therapeutic boarding school, so at-risk youth would come from all over the country and um, live on campus, and I was a teacher there best job ever. Um, and my husband was a therapist. And so part of the part of the therapy was introducing the staff and the kids to the Enneagram. And so I kind of paid attention and we had a couple of the books on the shelf and I very quickly recognized myself. <laughs> it's not hard to recognize yourself when you first start because it's the number that you like the least probably. Um, really looking for wisdom in parenting my own kids. And, but then I kind of put it on the shelf and kind of had it in the back of my mind. I knew that I was an Enneagram eight without question, um, but I didn't really start applying the wisdom until about, I would say three or four years ago, we did a book study of The Road Back to You by Cron and Stabile um, at work with our staff. And we tried to take, you know, take a number and present it and learn about it. and um, it was so pivotal to my understanding, not only understanding myself deeper, but really seeing my family members and my coworkers. Um, oh gosh, just really kind of opened my eyes to things that I needed to change and how, you know, why my husband and I were having the same issues over and over again. Um, and so, it was so life-changing for me that I, you know, I've always been interested in therapy or, you know, counseling and things like that, but I just didn't have the gumption, you know, being a middle-aged woman to go back to school and get my, you know, <laughs> get my counseling degree. So um, my husband suggested, why don't you become an Enneagram coach? Because that's where it all started for you anyways. And I thought that is brilliant. So, so that's what I did. I went through the training, um, in typical eight fashion, you know, in record speed, and um, start building my business. So now that's kind of a side gig. I'm, I'm a little afraid to apply myself too much to it, because I know that it will, it can blow up as quickly as I wanted to. And I still have to, you know, pay attention to my full time job. So it's been great, though, I it's very life giving. And um, I, I eventually want to be doing that all the time for sure so you move it from being your side gig to your full gig but over time that's right and something i can do from from my van if need be absolutely <laughs> the best part about being location independent right exactly exactly i love it let me ask you a question when you guys presented it at your school each you know on your team numbers were you presenting your own numbers or just a number like you got assigned a number we we got to choose we were not allowed to present our own numbers so i presented for number four and number seven and um it was really it was really fun because i found some things that were meaningful to those particular numbers and incorporated them into my presentation um with you know music and art and kinds of those kinds of things for the four and then for the type seven we had um fake margaritas and salsa and talked about talked about the enthusiasts so yeah i can't even remember who presented my number i'm sure i had a lot of things going on in my mind about what i wanted to say about it but i probably held my tongue pretty pretty well i would think well i really like your approach to doing that because it forces you to learn too right? You're knowing about yourself, but you're also considering other numbers, which oh, sure. that really is that connection zone when we can understand one another after we know ourselves. 
So, so we're not fixing the world. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I do want to ask you a question that I ask all our guests. So I'm going to back you up just a second. Sure. Now, given that you're working and doing this, is there something that you do every day that keeps you focused on your own big goals and dreams so that you don't get pulled off of Stacy? I thought a lot about this question and um, I have tried really, really hard to do the things that I know a lot of people do meditation, journaling, yoga, and I just cannot sit still long enough to do those things. I, I, I really give it a good try, but then, you know, five minutes, I'm, I'm kind of done. So I need to, because I'm in the gut triad and I live out of my body, I need to be doing physical things. So I get outside and I walk for, you know, five miles. I, of course, ride my bike, um, which we'll get into later. Uh, my bike is my happy place and I have a great trail right up by my workplace. So I'll just hop on my bike and go up there. And I just like to let my mind just go wherever it's going to go. Um, it's, I, I laugh at myself with the things I think about, but that's really what I, I have to get outside. Um, even when it's really cold, I just find that that is one of the best things for me. And I think the other thing is that my husband also works from home and I rely on him for just kind of a daily grounding. And when I start to get too worked up about things or have a, you know, what I know is the wrong, wrong perspective of something, but I'm not sure why, um, he is a great uh, sounding board, very, very wise man. And so I rely on him a lot and our time together too. Well, I think that's perfect. You know, it's so funny. People often think they have to like do the meditation or whatever. Yeah. I know for me, well, I've tried. I do that, but I do it sporadically. And But I will say, like you, the one thing I do every day is I'm outside. Yeah. You know, there are very few days. So when the weather's cold and I've got sideways winds, like really pounding winds, mm-hmm. I'll wimp out a little bit because I just yeah. like, that, that, that? <laughs> that core bone chill, right? Or when yeah. it like when I can't cover my whole face. Right, right. You know what? We might have to do inside things. Yeah, do, but, so, do something. But that is so powerful to do that. And it's so connecting oh, yeah. nature and the universe. It's just it's so powerful to be outside. So yeah, I appreciate I, that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's the best. It's the best thing for sure. And oh. plus you can listen to podcasts and be productive and feel like you're learning or something at the same time. So I usually am listening to a podcast or yeah. a book. Yep. Um, and talking to my dog at the same time. So he doesn't oh, no. feel ignored. Yeah. <laughs> so I do want to go back to the question that I told folks that I was going to ask you. And that is, what is it about, doing those small things or what you call in your words, the meager things, right? The seemingly meager meager things. Why do you say that matters? Well, because that's all we have to offer, really. Um, Most of us can't be great people. Uh, We can't offer great things. We're not famous. We don't have a lot of money necessarily. And, you know, our bodies might be falling apart or um, there's nothing spectacular about most of us and so all we have to offer and myself all I had to offer or all I have to offer is the small things and um you know Mother Teresa of course is the one who said we we can't do all do great things but we can do small things with great love and so that is where where I try to that's the space in which I live yeah so when you say small things, so now I'm thinking about the Enneagram, right? And for some of the numbers, small things are still going to be big things for other numbers, right? They're going to go, what? Yes. what? I can't do that. <laughs> so give me an example of a couple of your ideas of like what small things are that you've done that you've seen like go, whoa, that made a difference. That's a great question. And I appreciate what you're saying about the Enneagram because my small things, um, an eight's small things are usually things that other numbers see as- They're big. They're big. And they don't necessarily start that way, but they end up you know, taking on a life of their own, which is what happens in my life. But I would say 
to, to not be a big thing, you know, that turns into a big thing like a trip around Uganda, which we'll talk about, but just listening to people and trying to empathize with them. And as a teacher, I've had a lot of opportunity to um, just listen and empathize and allow space for people to be themselves. And then people will come back to me later and say, you have no idea what this conversation, what this conversation meant to me. Um, I had, I had a girl from a youth group contact me just a couple months ago and she wasn't even a regular um, attendee in my group, but she said, I watched how you parented and I watched how you lived your life. And now I foster kids and I'm just trying to be like you. And I couldn't even really remember her last name. And so I think that the things that we have, when we just offer ourselves to other people um, as a listener, I've seen that that's probably one of the most significant things in my life is just how that has increased into things and reaches that you have no idea that are happening. Yeah. Well, and sometimes you may never know. What a what a great exactly. blessing that she came back and shared that with you. Yeah, that doesn't happen very often. But yeah, that was... It, I was astounded. I was just totally blown away. Well, that's yeah. what I think of when you think about like the quote unquote meager things, depending on who you are and your personality, those are usually the things that you take for granted, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. when people say, well, you can get things done, right? When you say, I'll take on something small, but it becomes this big thing. Well, for other people, like that's just how you operate. Your right. You're very fast. Your mind works. And other people are going, well, I don't know, but thank goodness she did that because as a result, X, Y, and Z happened. And you may have, mm -hmm. that's just a normal course of the day for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is a part of my number that I really um, grew into being proud of um, and learning along with all of the garbage that comes with being an eight, because there's garbage with every number. Um, man, there are some really great things that also come with every type and um, eights and I'm not saying eights in particular, but eights do pretty big things. Um, and that was one thing that I had to grow into being proud of and, and kind of the flip side of the coin, right? Is the passion and the intensity can harm people, but it can also help people if, if you're healthy and you start applying it in the right way. So what do you mean when you say healthy so that our listeners get a sense of what you're talking about? Well, when I'm healthy as an eight, I allow other people space in the room um and my husband's gonna laugh when he listens to this because he's like can i get some more of that we have this conversation on a regular basis hey, well you know he lives with you he gets to see your blind spots <laughs> yeah, you know exactly um yeah i think it's creating space for people and and giving grace giving grace to people for and allowing them to not be me um, allowing them to not do things the way that I do or as quickly as I would do them or think the way that I do. Um, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but. Well, it makes perfect sense. Um, a couple of my favorite people, and I didn't know there are Enneagram types until fairly re in recent history, like the last two or three years, mm -hmm. but they are super accomplished women, very caring women. Um, and boy, when they like, they just start and things around them start happening. Right? It's like, here we go. And people follow. Yeah. But I do know both of them have had pushback there and they don't come across. I mean, their energy is really great, but I like that energy, right? I'm comfortable with that energy. But I do know for other folks, and I've heard them each described as they're kind of intense. They're kind mm -hmm. of scary, right? Mm -hmm. Because but they are the kindest people and thank goodness they're around because things have changed because of both of them, two different geographic areas. They have changed their communities because of mm -hmm. that. And similar mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we, I love those eight women. We do bring that intensity, but yeah, certain numbers definitely are going to be more receptive to that than others. Absolutely. So can you share a little bit about um, maybe how, well, actually, let's go back. I'm sorry, I'm changing my mind. Let's talk about your bike okay. and your 50th birthday, and then I'll pull off of that. Sure, sure. So I love my bike. Um, her name is Wednesday. I named her as well. 
she um it's she's a fat bike so it's the kind of bike that's designed to ride in the winter and i bought her because i needed to train in the winter um and then we switch out and put smaller tires so she is one of my favorite possessions because she's just become a friend to me and part of that growth to become that weird about my bike was all about that trip that that we did um and do you want to get into that right now or absolutely okay so i was turning 50 a few years ago and wanted to do some people go to hawaii and they or they have a big party and so i wanted to do something significant but i'm really really introverted and so i didn't want it to be a party or something per se i thought well why don't i use this platform to do something for someone else and because both my husband and i love riding our bikes he more than me he's way better than me but we we and we love um our african friends we've been to africa a few times and we have ties there and so we kind of in my mind all of a sudden it was like a light bulb moment it's like why don't i go for a really long bike ride in africa and raise money for the african children that can't afford to go to school and I didn't really realize what I was saying, <laughs> but I made it. I, I I made it Facebook official by announcing what we were doing, and then there was no stopping. There was uh, no going back, and you know I'm not gonna say I'm doing it and then not do it. So it just <laughs> it just took off from there. So we spent about two years training and raising money, and um, we ended up raising over i think forty-five thousand dollars before we left and which was more than enough to 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 pay for these 50 children to go to school for the year and then we loaded up our bikes and all of our gear and we had a route planned out and we flew over there and spent um two months 50 days riding our bikes around the entire country counterclockwise and just immersing ourselves in the culture and with the people and being we're both like i said we're both extremely introverted and i would say uganda is probably the most extroverted country on the planet and so the biking was actually ended up being the easy part it was the social aspects of having to wave and say hi to everybody and you could not stop your bike to rest without you know a crowd gathering around you and asking questions and wanting to touch your hair well my hair for sure and the bikes and the gear and so that part was was really draining but there was just so many interesting things to look at and hear and see and smell that it just made the days go by super fast what was your most memorable if do you have a memorable most memorable from that 50 days i know that's oh, a tough God. question no no for sure uh i i do <laughs> before we left there were a lot of people saying aren't you afraid like you're you're stupid or you're crazy and um what, why are you doing this and it was just out of um not being educated i think about what what it's like over there and we kind of knew a little bit about what to expect and yes we were going through areas that did have cannibals and um you know wild animals that are dangerous and things but my my eightness just kicked in as far as me living in denial and uh not being not being afraid that we just that we just went for it so there was one moment though where probably one of the scariest times on the trip for sure for me and when i look back at it now everything would have been fine but we were coming into a village and we would usually ride for a couple of hours and then stop for a coke you can get coke or water whatever um, everywhere and so we stopped for a coke and because we were riding our bikes on the opposite side of the road because they ride opposite of of canada and north america we crossed the road to turn in. And then when we left, John was still adjusting things on his bike and joking with some kids. And he would always give me a head start because I'm so much slower than him. Why don't you get started and just ride and I'll catch you. And so when I left the shop, I went the wrong way on the road. 
and started going back the direction that we had just come from. And because, you know, the dirt is red everywhere and the trees look the same, I did not, it did not register to me where that I was seeing the same things. And so I got pretty far away and realized he's not coming. I was, I was looking back and finally I stopped and just was waiting and he's not coming. He's not coming. I'm thinking maybe he has a flat or what, what is going on? And then I just heard this voice say, you need to go back. So I hopped on my, and I did not want to ride one extra meter of this trip. And so that's why I waited for so long. But I started riding back towards the shop and I, I find the shop and I'm, I'm saying, you know, tall Mzungu, did, where is he? And they said, well, he went that way, which was the opposite. And then it, it dawned on me that I had gone the wrong way. So now I have all kinds of energy hopping on my bike and riding like a out of hell trying to find him, knowing that he is riding his bike fast to try and catch me. And so like an adrenaline rush. Oh gosh. I was so, I was so scared because he didn't, I didn't have any way to reach him. We only had one phone and I had it with me. So I start riding my bike and I just start praying. I just start praying and I'm looking and scanning and there's just colors and everything, you know, everywhere. But because he's the only tall white guy in this whole, you know, side of the country at this time, I figured I would be able to see him pretty easily. And I couldn't find him, couldn't find him. And finally, I got to the intersection where we were going to have to turn. And it was really busy, all kinds of um, just cows and people and bikes and everything. And then I see him coming back towards me with this look on his face like, I am going to kill you right now. (laughs) I felt so stupid and so sorry because he had been chasing me down and had to, he's like, wow, she's really kicking mass here. She's going so fast. And then it dawned on him. No, she's probably, so he started asking people, have you seen, you know, this lady with red hair and he's trying to motion with his hands and they're saying, no, no, haven't seen her. So then he knew I was behind him. And so we ended up meeting right at the intersection where we had to turn like just in time. Um, if I would have gone past that, then we would have missed each other completely because he would have, you know, gone down that road. So it was, it was a God thing that we met up and, um, yeah, he didn't talk to me for a little while after that. (laughs) You were on bikes and he could just dispel his energy riding. Yeah. Yeah. That it's good for that. Definitely. It's good for that. So that was probably the most memorable a scary moment that we had, but there were lots of other memories, just learning about their culture and some of the horrific things that have happened um, in that country with Idi Amin and Cody. And so it was, it, it was definitely the trip of a lifetime. It's hard to, it's hard to say just one memory besides that one that stands out because it was all so good and we didn't have any mechanicals and we felt safe. Um, so it was just, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. I felt so honored and blessed to be able to do it. Just think about all the stories the Ugandans had about that crazy tall guy with the woman with the crazy oh. red hair, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were at the store and these two people came. I know. And it, one, <laughs> this one guy, we, we, we were kind of at a a station where there was lots of hubbub and people would all it was always gathering a crowd it was very could could get to the point where it was intimidating and we would just say okay let's just get on our bikes and go even though we're not rested and there was one point where there was probably around 20 25 men um starting to close in on us and looking at our bikes and trying to look at the different gear and and one man was asking, you know, give me money. And John just said, well, why don't you give me money? Does it look like I have money to give? I, I have no money. And the man said to him, well, okay, when you come back next year, you find me and give me $10. And John was like, okay, you, you got yourself a deal. If I ever do this again and find you in this village amongst all these people, I will give you $10. And the man was happy with that. Fair enough. 
Sounds like a good deal. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to so turn cool. left here, no pun yeah. intended. We're at an intersection, but I'm going to turn left and talk about the Enneagram. But I'm going to ask if we can dive into how you use it with your teens, because I know I asked one of the things I asked pre-interview is like, what are the questions you get asked a lot? And I was amazed by the focus on teens, including what's wrong with my teen, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So how are you helping? Let's start with the parents, you know, Mm -hmm. first. How do you help them understand their teen through the Enneagram, especially if they're really young and maybe don't even know their numbers all the way? Yeah, right. That's a great question. So I think it's super valuable, first of all, for the teen to understand their number um, because it gives them some language around why they're doing what they're doing, why they're feeling left out or anxious, um, why they're maybe not getting along with their parents or seeing eye to eye with their siblings. And so I spend a lot of time just helping the teen understand what their number is. And I've seen depending on what type they are, certain, certain types are so freed by that knowledge that knowing that there are other people out there like them, and then others have to struggle with the fact that they are that type and they don't wanna be that type and they don't like it and they wanna, they wanna be another type. Um, and so really moving deep into what they have to offer um, uniquely as their type. So can you share which, you know, you said that some teams, teens um, have struggle more than others with the type. What types are those typically that you see that like they they feel the most invisible until they take and understand who they are more through the Enneagram? Yeah, in my experience, it's, it's the type fours, the romantics. Um, and I think a lot of parents might look at their teens going through angsty, situations and maybe some rebellion and automatically assume oh my my kid's a four or um yeah they're so moody and it's like a roller coaster but i think when a student is a true four um because i really do think that fours are the most misunderstand misunderstood type on the enneagram um fours and eights actually not not to throw myself in there but fours for sure and for them to have language around wanting to be seen and why they feel left out and that piece of them that they feel that they're missing to realize that they're not missing anything um, is huge but also that there are some other people who also feel like that that they're not alone in feeling like that um, has been i would say probably the most significant coaching i've done has been with either parents of fours or type four students So how do you help them move? I don't want to use the word stuck. That's what comes to mind, but they're, they're not actually stuck. They're developing. Mm -hmm. And so, and honestly, I remember being a teen better than you think I would at this age. (laughs) It was, well, and you know, and I always cried. Maybe we said, that's the best time of life. And I'm going, have have you like forgotten what, how tough it is to be a teen? Oh gosh. It's tough. Dunk. I, I I thought I looking back, I would have said that I was a four as a teen, but now I know I was an unhealthy eight, but um looking more like a five. Um, but yeah, it's uh it's it's tough. There was nothing fun about it for me. So I I think that's why I really love working with teens so much, is because I know it, it can be horrible. You know, so how so pretend I'm a four. And I, it's new to me. I have no clue what it means to be a four, but you've helped me understand that's who I am. What special gifts do you tell me that I have? And how, what direction do you point me so that I can grow into my stronger, more whole self as a four and be more self-accepting? Mm-hmm. The thing that I love about the fours in my life is that they are the safest place to be sad. They are not trying to talk you out of negative emotions. They're not trying to uh, spiritually bypass what what you're feeling. They will sit there with you for as long as you want. And that is a that is a superpower that no other type has, is their willingness to go deep and to be authentic 
And I feel like today's culture must be really, really difficult for force because it's all about pushing that stuff away, right? And filling yourself with experiences or um, putting on this facade that everything's great on Instagram. And these fours are slowly dying watching this world be so inauthentic. And so I think that fours are the most authentic type and they offer the safest place when people are struggling. So when um, you help a four get stronger, talk to the audience a little bit about what direction they go. So we talked about like when you were saying you go to your low side of five when you're not doing well. Mm -hmm. right? So for a four, what does that look like? Because I'm imagining there's a young four or maybe a parent of a four trying to figure it out, you mm -hmm. know, but help me understand what if I were the parent of a four and they're struggling, what would I be seeing? And are there ways or words I can use to help them not get out of their feelings, but also not feel so alone? Like what, where's their strength or their growth path? Right. I think the biggest, the biggest thing, if you hear nothing else audience for, if you're parenting a four is to just listen to them first um, and give them space to feel their feelings. As an eight, I typically would try to talk my kids out of their feelings a lot because I'm feeling repressed and, you know, I'm a doer. So let's just, what are we going to do about this? And your fours are not looking for you to do anything for them. They really just want you to acknowledge that situations are hard or that this stinks that I didn't get invited to this party and not try to fix it. Just allow them space to feel that because chances are they're going to move out of it more quickly than you will if you if you pick that up. Um, the direction, so an unhealthy four will probably, I mean, an extremely unhealthy four might be teens that struggle with self-harm or um, just totally secluding themselves, becoming a martyr, um, those kinds of feelings and, and talk about martyrdom and nobody loves me and I'm so different and um, they're, they're very, very complicated types. Um, they've got a push-pull thing happening where they really want to be a part of something and at the same time want to be unique and not like the group. And so it's just as confusing for them as it is for, for the parents, for sure. Um, I'm not sure if that answered all of the parts of your question there. Well, it was a compound question, not very fair to ask, but um, <laughs> you did answer them. Could we talk about a couple other numbers that you frequently work with or see teens, you know, not, I don't, I think teens like who are questioning. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, going back to, I remembered one other thing I wanted to say, and this can apply to all of the teens is um, the whole practice of the cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'm not a therapist, I don't pretend to be, but I have found that looking at thought distortions with teens, it has been pivotal in helping them understand when they are catastrophizing or when they are have all or nothing thinking. And I find that the fours that I have coached struggle with those lies more than other types, um, somewhat more than other types. I think we all could read through the cognitive distortions and recognize ourselves in many of them. But work around the cognitive behavioral therapy would be a really strong suggestion if you're parenting a four who's struggling. Um, other things that I've seen would be around, sorry, gonna, you're going to have to maybe cut this part out. You're going to have to repeat your question again for me. So pick a different number. Yeah. Pick a different number of teen and then share with us some of the things we might see them um, trying to figure out or understand more about themselves. Um, it might look like they're struggling, but it's going to look very different than a four, right? right. So yeah. what might that look like? What number is it? Okay. And then if I'm a parent, what's one thing, not mm -hmm. everything, but one thing I can do to help yeah. my team feel, recognize them, whatever, so that they're more confident and feel okay. less inadequate. Yeah, sure. So I've coached a lot of type nines and those are the peacemakers. And I think as a teen, what that looks like in an unhealthy place is numbing themselves. And so that could be video gaming. It could be sleeping. It could be 
it could be actually anything. It could be reading a book. It could be practices that from the outside don't seem so harmful and probably practices that a lot of us should be doing on a regular basis. But for a nine who's kind of falling asleep to themselves, and by that I mean they are either merging with their friends and losing their own identity in the process, or they are just done with change and they don't want any kind of conflict in their family or with their friends. And so they just kind of fall asleep to what they actually want in their lives. And so for parents, I would say one thing that you can do if your nine is struggling is to encourage them to get one or two things done that day that's on their list. Um, it could be something as small as making their bed in the morning. Um, it could be as big as finishing that project that you know they've been procrastinating about for a couple of weeks and it's due tomorrow and it's midnight. Um, so just kind of having your finger on the pulse if you're seeing your, your teen withdraw in a way that's new um, and they actually have many other things that they should be doing um, just as part of their daily lives to just pay attention and help them set some small, small goals for themselves of just getting one thing done at a time. Well, will a nine teen be receptive to that or will they feel that you are intruding? Well, in my experience, the nines have been really receptive to that, but there are the nines who will say, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll do that. But then they have no intention of doing that whatsoever. It's their little way of getting out their anger and being passive aggressive. Um, so. I would make sure that you have a plan with some accountability with your nine um, so that they can't just basically lie to your face that they're going to do it fully knowing that they're not going to do it. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, it's, it's tough. Sometimes we have patterns ingrained patterns or rep repeating patterns in a family. And so they're going, yeah, you've always told me that I've always got, I haven't had to do it. So it may take more than one attempt. Oh, for sure. It's a process, I think. Oh, over and over again with everything you're doing with your teen is a process. None of this is, is going to happen overnight. And I mean, when we worked at the boarding school, a lot of parents would be dropping their kids off and saying, can you fix, I want you to fix them. And it really is a mindset of, of realizing that the, these kids aren't broken. They don't need to be fixed. They need to be understood and then developed into their healthiest version. Um, but there's nothing broken about, um, there's nothing broken. We're just doing the best we can with the traumas that they've experienced and moving. That's why the Enneagram is so great because it's like this compass that just points to where you're at and where you're moving and what you're, where you could potentially go. Um, if you do some work on yourself. And that's why I just find it such an invaluable tool for insight into teens, especially. Well, and as you said, it's like you work on yourself. So fixing my kid is not on that list. <laughs> no, and you don't want to say to the parent, well, what did you do to them? You know, <laughs> what did you do to them in the first place? <laughs> that's a, that doesn't really build relationship. <laughs> no, no, that's something an eight would blurt out, right? And then regret it later. But, well, and then go, um, whew, I hope that wasn't out loud. Yeah, um, exactly. Did I say that out loud? Nag, <laughs> nah, but not again. <laughs> well, but I, but it's, and we can joke about that, but there are, and yeah. I've shared this before on the podcast that there are organizations I work with that want their personnel issues, quote unquote, fixed and they're yeah. people. Right. So it's not a quick fix. And there's often many contributing factors. Um, and some things need a therapist, yeah, right, absolutely. in conjunction yeah. with the great work of self-awareness and reflection that the Enneagram can provide. Mm -hmm. A lot of my clients are actually going to therapy as well. Um, but whereas therapy kind of looks at the past and maybe things that have happened to them, the Enneagram is all about who you are and who you could become. Yep. And so it's much, um, it, it's, it's more light, you know, it's, it's kind of like a friend that's coming along and saying, Hey, I know that this is kind of who you are, but this is who you could be. Um, how can I help you get there? Yep. And that's such a great orientation, mm -hmm. right? What's possible. I love that question. Yeah. What would be possible? Yes. Right. Yes. 
Absolutely. What would be possible if I were not believing these limiting thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, or if I was doing those meager acts? Right? And right. I think about when you said that, um, you know, like they may seem small to make your bed, but it sets your frame. It Absolutely. sets the day, right? I've accomplished this. And yeah. boy, when I look back and it's made and it's made well, I feel good. And I know like there are days you're in a rush and you go, and I've walked away thinking that's good enough. And then I look back and I'm going, not good enough because I'm not going to appreciate it when I try to get into it tonight. Exactly. Right. When you come back to it, you're like, oh, why didn't I make it? I kind of like getting into my bed when it's made. I love it being made. And often, <laughs> most often, my husband makes it and I'm not going to make my bed worse than he makes it. So <laughs> little competition there. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but I'm not all joking aside, that does set the frame for the day. Right. When you do those tiny little things or you listen to a friend or you try to understand your teen more. And do you find that has changed how you teach in school as well? Yeah, I find that um, I teach English and phys ed. So there's there's completely different agendas in both. Um, But I find that really good advice for my students around that piece of offering what's meager or starting small is just get this piece done and then it and then it builds and then their confidence builds over time until all of a sudden the essay is done and the project is done Um, and then always taking that time too to go back and reflect what are you most proud of from this year and it was it inevitably uh, every single time is they picked the one that was the hardest for them to do. It was the Shakespeare unit or it was the poetry book I had to write. Um, it's always the hard things that when you start small and you and you persevere and you dig into all that grit you can muster and get it done, those are always the things that you're the most proud of. And it's the same with our with our bike trip, right? It started small. I can ride a bike. I can, uh, you know, tell people and probably raise some money and then it turns into something huge not because of anything I've done, but be ha- you know, because of what other people are willing to give and add to it. And because God completely had his hand in this trip from the beginning, for sure. So that leads me to my second to last question. You said, this is a quote from what you shared with me, which is it's all about the loaves and fish offering. Mm-hmm. Um, so how does that play out in your daily life? Oh, every day. Like I said before, that's all I have to offer is this really meager sack lunch. And I find that if I if I bring that sack lunch with me wherever I go and I look for opportunities of who needs to to for me to share it with, then it can it can just be little things. It can be helping someone at the grocery store or um encouraging someone at work who I know is having a hard time or writing someone a card or sending a text. And so I just try to keep in mind that when I say yes to things, even though they feel like they could, you know, blow out of proportion and be hard, saying yes to the little things up front opens that door at least. And then God can do what he wants to with my loaves and fish. If he doesn't want to grow them, that's fine. There's only a few people eating. But if he wants to feed, you know, 10,000, then he can do that too. All right. So my last question for you is, um, what is the best way for folks to get a hold of you? I know that you're doing this as your side job right now, but my bet would be there's people going to say, I need to talk to Stacy about my <laughs> teen, about my teaching, about homeschooling. So what's the best way for folks to connect with you? Yeah, so that thank you for asking that. So I am trying to put a lot of good content on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is at Fresh Tracks Enneagram. Um, I like the idea of the fresh tracks kind of, you know, going into uncharted territory. Um, And then my website is freshtracksenneagram.com. And those would be the two, there's a contact link there and you can read more about the Enneagram and more about me on my website. Um, But Instagram is also good to just start a conversation. And what if folks want to help you out with your school in Uganda? Oh, gosh. So I have a website for that, too, actually. (laughs) If they want to help with that, rather than overwhelm everybody with with web addresses, they can reach out to me through those handles I just gave you, and I can steer them in the right direction. We we are always looking for more support there because the needs are endless. (laughs) 
Well, and congratulations on educating all those kids for a year. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's grown into, um, we've kept up with 12 of those original 50. And then we wanted to have something that was a little more sustainable and all in one place because those 50 kids were kind of spread out all over the place. So we bought some land there of a school that was dilapidated. The kids were actually sitting in the trees when they were trying to do their lessons. And we're just concentrating all of our efforts on getting this school up to code. And we just passed our um, inspection with the Minister of Education. And people are now starting to pay attention and coming from all over um, wanting their kids to go to this school. So there's about 200 students, I think, and 10 staff right now. So it's growing. So do you need financial support for that? Oh yeah, we have we have sponsorships for students. We have sponsorships for teachers. Um, we're trying to raise money right now for them to have school uniforms um, because that's such a huge status um, symbol and actually keeps the children safe. Uh, safer as they're walking to and from school if they're wearing a school uniform and you know books and tables that they break and playground equipment there there's food we feed them lunch every day so yes if they wanted to financially help um, that project is called get schooled um, and uh, they can reach out to me if they're interested in hearing more about that even if they want to chat or talk about Africa I'd love to I'd love to have those conversations. I would encourage folks to do that. And um, I'm a big proponent of nonprofits, nonprofits doing good work locally mm -hmm. in the States, in Canada, around the world. So folks, honestly, when I listen that her, their $45,000 educated those children for a year, that is not a lot of money when we all chip in a little. So um, reach out to Stacy on her pages, on her handles, and give a little, because wouldn't that be cool to know that you help those kids go to school? Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's great. All right, Miss Stacy, I want to thank you for being a guest on the podcast. I've enjoyed our time together. I love your story, and I will visualize you camping in your van. <laughs> with my bike on the back. That's of course. <laughs> All the good stuff's got to go with. Oh, thank you so much, Sarah. Really enjoyed our, our conversation today. Thank you. My pleasure. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash no labels, no limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.